Life is filled with moments, and to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day, Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God. This beautiful year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study. When you give a generous year-end gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack, one for you and three to share. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. If your New Year's resolutions include spending more time in God's Word, you need to do more than just read it. You need to live it. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at what it takes for believers to become people of the book, based on the Apostle Paul's prayer from Colossians 1. To introduce the conclusion of his special message, A Prayer for the New Year, here's David. Well, thank you for joining us today. You know, the Bible is filled with the prayers that were prayed by biblical people. What I notice when I read those prayers is how unusually different they are from the way we pray. And that is certainly true about the prayer we are studying right now called A Prayer for the New Year. It's from the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verses 9 through 14, a prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossian believers. It's one of the best prayers in the New Testament, in my estimation, and certainly worthy of our examining as we face the coming year and prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in our lives. Turning Point is very grateful for his provision for us this past year. We have produced a number of new books. We have produced a brand new movie that has come out and has been all over the world, really, in many places you would never imagine. We've also had uh, many new study programs and many new initiatives. It's certainly been a year when God has been uh, giving us uh, our wings and helping us to move forward, making a difference in the world. That's our purpose, to bring the gospel and the hope of Christ to the world in which God has placed us. And we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do in the new year and what you've done for us in your prayers and financial support during 2022. Now we're going to finish what we started yesterday as we talk about a prayer for the new year. Open your Bibles to Colossians 1. And let's begin our study. The next thing that will happen when you fill your mind and your heart with the Word of God and you determine to let the Word of God not just be a subject, but be a life map, you will discover that you become productive as a Christian. I used to try to drum people up to do stuff they should have done automatically. Used to get up in the pulpit and lay guilt on them about visitation or serving in the Sunday school and all of that. And it suddenly dawned on me that if a person's walking in the spirit and living in the word of God, one of the things that ought to be normal and natural is that they're productive. And the Bible uses this phrase, you will be producing fruit. What does it mean to be a fruitful Christian? I remember some years ago, I went through my Bible and I started to write down all of the things the Bible says about being fruitful. And there's some very interesting things. First of all, did you know that a fruitful Christian has the right kind of character? Because in the book of Galatians, it says that the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and long suffering. The fruit of who we are is our character. In the book of Romans, it talks about conduct fruit. It says in Romans, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? And at the end of the passage, it says, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Did you know that 
What you do is fruit. Now, keep the list carefully in your mind, because if you do, you won't forget it. Fruit is character, who you are, and it's conduct, what you do. But fruit is more than that. Thirdly, fruit is conversation, what you say. Did you know that? The words of your mouth are the evidence of your production and fruitfulness. In the book of Hebrews, it speaks of the words of your mouth as the fruit of your lips. Did you ever see that verse? It's the fruit of your lips. And there in that passage, it's talking about praise and worship. So that when you come to church and you sing praise to God, that's being fruitful. When you sing in the choir and lead others in praise, that's a fruitfulness in your life. Here's another one I found. Did you know that to be a fruitful Christian, it's not only character, who you are, and conduct, what you do, and conversation, what you say, but it's contributions, what you give. You say, now wait a minute, that sounds like a Baptist preacher threw that in there just for emphasis. But did you know that that's an actual statement in the Word of God? When Paul was writing to the Romans, he said one place in the book of Philippians, he talked to them about their gift being fruitful. He said, I do not seek the financial gift, he said, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So when we give money to God's work, that's another evidence of being fruitful. And finally, the one we most always know is that when you win someone to Christ, when you have a convert and you share your faith and they come to Christ, that's being fruitful. And that's the Romans passage that talks about the first fruits of a chaos. Now, I don't want to dwell on these long except to say that when the word of God is dwelling in your heart and you are taking God's word and you're faithfully acknowledging that it is his word and you're making it work and you're applying it in your life, That means you don't read the book just to see what it says. You read the book to see what to do. Big difference. When you start living like that, what happens is all of a sudden you become productive. Everything about your life changes because God's word is in you bearing its fruit in your life. Paul said, my prayer for you is that you might be filled with the word of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might be always walking, pleasing to the Lord, that you might be productive in your life, being fruitful in all you do. And then he adds a third thought. He says that when you are walking in such a way and living in such a way, not only will you be producing fruit consistently, but you will also be progressing in knowledge continually. How do you really learn the word of God? And this brings us full cycle, if you will, because you can't just learn the word of God by memorizing lists. When I was growing up, we were still in the cycle that the way you learn is to memorize things. Anybody else here like that? You have a test, you have to memorize a grocery list. And we we used to have things, we call them budaks. And the budak was a little thing you learned that helped you to remember the first letter of everything you had to memorize. And I would get out of some classes and I knew all the budaks. I didn't remember any of the things that they represented. I mean, I'd get them on the test and I'd get them right and I wouldn't, I wouldn't memorize them right. You know, there's ways people say you learn and there's ways that you really learn. Let me tell you how you really learn the word of God. Because it says here that if you do what Paul prayed for you to do, you will be progressing in knowledge. It says here in this verse that you will be walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is a good time for us to look back over our shoulder and say, do I know more about God this year than I did last year? How do you equate that? How do you really grow as a Christian? 
Well, I want to tell you something. You just don't grow by memorizing all the words of the Bible. You can memorize the New Testament frontwards and backwards. It'll have an impact on you. But if you don't allow it to go deeper than that, you're not going to grow. Here's how you grow. By taking the word of God as you understand it and putting it into practice in your life. By taking a step into the truth that you already know, you begin to grow. When you come to a crisis in your life, some of you businessmen, you come to a crisis and perhaps your boss comes and he says, for an advantage that we need in this next situation, I want you to post date some papers for me. I remember a man who was the president of a large corporation who was asked to do that. And he said, I cannot do that because it violates a principle of the word of God. I would have to be falsifying these papers to do that. And he lost his job over it, only to go on and see God bless him in another venue far more than he would have been if he stayed there. But I want to tell you something. When you hear the word of God in your heart because you've sowed it there and you come to a crisis and it's what the world wants or what somebody else wants and what God wants and the two come into conflict with each other, when you take the high road and do what God wants you to do, that passage of scripture, that principle is ever yours. You will never forget it. It becomes a part of who you are, becomes a part of your spiritual being. The way you grow in the word of God is to take what you know and to do it. Instead of, well, I'm looking at this to see whether I want to do it or not. One of the illustrations that I love about this principle takes me back in my life to the very earliest days, even before I started preaching formally in 1969. I was a young buck as a youth pastor in Haddon Heights, New Jersey, and I went to preach one time in West Virginia, and I was taken down into a coal mine, and the guy who was my host turned all the lights off and gave me a carbide lamp. That's an experience I don't ever want to repeat, but it was something to live for then. I'll never forget that because it was totally black, and I stood there for a moment with this light on my head, and I wanted to see the way out, but the only way I could see the way out was to take a step into the light I already had. And when I did, you know what happened? The light shone one step further into the darkness. And when I took another step, the light, and you know what? I learned that day a very wonderful principle. That when it comes to spiritual truth, the way you grow is you take a step into the light you already have. And when you do that, God sheds the light one further step into the darkness. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here I am and God says, Jeremiah, this is what I want you to do. Well, okay, Lord. And I take that step. And then the Lord tells me the next thing. God doesn't give you all the information you need sometimes right up front, does he? I like to tell people when they ask me, they're worried about something that's going to happen. I've learned this. When I need to know, I know. Isn't that true? Sometimes I wish I could know now. It would make life so much easier for me, but then I wouldn't walk by faith. So I have to wait for God to tell me. But if I don't walk in the light that I have, God doesn't give me any other light. And that's why the principle of growing in your faith is to take this principle of what God has said and take what God has said and do it. And in the process, you will be progressing in knowledge. Continue. You will grow in grace. The way you grow is by doing what God tells you to do. It's just as simple as that. And then the fourth thing you will learn is you keep reading this passage that is one of my favorite passages. And this is one that's very special to me in my life of recent days. It says in verse 11, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy. And I've written down in my notes, when you 
Let the word of God dwell in you richly and you follow obediently what it says. The fourth thing that happens is you will be persevering in stress cheerfully. And every one of those words is important. Persevering in stress cheerfully. That's what verse 11 says. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. When I see the words power and might and strength, I always think, well, you know, that's for the big test. You know, I got to stand up against some heretic who's denying the faith or face some church problem that's going to take everything I've got. But you know what I've been learning? I've been learning that you need power and might and strength more for the long haul than you do for the momentary challenge. Isn't that true? The Christian life isn't a hundred yard dash. It's a marathon. And especially if you've got an unresolved issue in your life or if you've got something you've been praying for that God hasn't answered yet, it takes a lot of strength and power and might to stay there under the pressure in the midst of stress and still exhibit the character of Christ in your life with joy. Tell you, when you see a Christian who's going through something, you can tell what they're made out of. Isn't that true? Everybody can, you know, hip, hip and array when things are going well and there's no stress or problems. But then God sends the challenges into your life. And one of the things you know when you go through challenges is that you're on display and people are watching what's going on in your life. And here's what Paul says. When you have the word of God dwelling in you richly, you can have power and strength and might and long suffering and patience with joy. Some old wag once said, if you see somebody who's in a lot of trouble, he's got a smile on his face. He's found somebody to blame it on. But that's not true. If you see somebody who's under a lot of pressure, he's got a smile on his face. He just may know the God we're talking about today. And he may be real in his life. I want to tell you something. This book is not just a textbook to study. It's a life book to live. And when you do it, these are the things that happen. Paul finishes it all up with one final thought. He says, you will not only be persevering in stress cheerfully, but you'll be praising God correctly. And I only put this in because it's here. Because at the beginning of the next section, verse 12, he says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness, who conveyed us into his kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Did you ever read Paul's prayers and notice what a thankful man he was? You know, Colossians was written by Paul, not in a penthouse or on a cruise ship. It was written in prison. This is one of the prison epistles. He wrote this letter under duress. And yet he said, I've learned how to give thanks to God. First of all, because he took me out of the kingdom of darkness and he put me in the kingdom of light. That's the first key word. He's given you light. Paul knew a lot about that, didn't he? He was walking in darkness, and one day on the road to Damascus, the light came so brightly, knocked him off his horse, and changed his life forever. Once darkness, now light. And then he said, he's delivered me into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of love. There's a wonderful idiom here, if you study this in the language. It's a picture of what they used to do when they would take a nation captive. Listen carefully. Sometimes in order to subjugate a nation, they would go into the nation and take a whole city or a whole village 
and pick them all up together and move them out into some other foreign place where they couldn't speak the same languages, where they didn't know the culture, just to keep them at bay and keep them from resisting and raising up against the government. And that's the image Paul uses. He said, here's what happened. When I got saved, Almighty God picked me up right out of the kingdom of darkness and he set me over here right down in the kingdom of love. Lock, stock, and barrel. One day I was living in this village and the next day I was in God's wonderful kingdom of light. He was in the kingdom of light. He was a kingdom of love. And then he adds the last thought. He says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He's given me light and love and liberty. And Paul never got over it. Every time he prays, it's in his prayers. I wonder how it would change us if we were such people of the book and the book was coursing through our life, not just through our minds. Whenever we prayed, we would spill over into praise to God for what he's done for us because the fundamental good thing in our life goes back to the moment he saved us. Isn't that true? How many of you here today remember the moment when you trusted Christ as your Savior? That moment was the beginning of everything good in your life. And every time you pray, somehow like a yo-yo, you're pulled back to that moment if you really have the Word of God coursing through your life. So let me just review for a moment. Here's Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers he'd never met. And here's my prayer for you people that I love and appreciate and serve. Here's what Paul prayed. He said, Oh God... As I look out at these people that I don't know in Colossae, my prayer for them is that they might be filled with your word in all wisdom. Lord, they need to know what your word says and spiritual understanding. Lord God, that they may know how to apply it to their lives, that they might walk obediently to you. And when that happens, they will be different people. Everything about them will change from head to toe. My friends, if that becomes true of us, or in the measure that it becomes true of us, we truly then are people of the book. We're not people of the book because we get out and walk to church on Sunday with our Bibles under our arms. We're people of the book when the book controls our lives, makes a difference in who we are, and causes us to be salt and light in the world in which we live. One of my most vivid memories of my early ministry was of a young couple that served the Lord with the group called the Navigators. Navigators, for those of you who may not know who they are, are a parachurch organization that served college campuses and business organizations in the military, training disciples and causing people to grow and discipling them in the things of the Lord. And the Navigators are on many of the college campuses across the country. At this particular time in my life, my sister, Dr. Mary Alice Jeremiah, was the girls' basketball coach at IU in Bloomington, Indiana. And uh, this young couple that had started to come to our church were the navigator reps on the campus in Bloomington. And they would come home to Fort Wayne on occasion, but most of the time they were in Bloomington ministering on the campus. Well, they had met there and they had come to know each other and they decided they wanted to get married and they asked me if I'd do their wedding and I was delighted because I had such high regard for both of them. I'll never forget their wedding because I'd never participated in a wedding where the bride and the groom had taken such freedom with the vows and writing their own statements to one another and talking about how the Lord had led them to each other and how they'd both become Christians. That was all part of the ceremony. It was like a church service more than a wedding. 
It was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. And, and I prayed with them two or three times before they went back to Bloomington. And uh, they went back to serve and kind of lost track of them for a little while until they were home one weekend. And my secretary told me that I uh, needed to talk with them, that they were going through some problems. And I found out that Rhonda had leukemia. And it was a very difficult kind of leukemia that was hard to track and hard to treat. And they told her that she was going to be going through some pretty difficult days. And she fought that disease for, for many months. I was away preaching in Cleveland. I'll never forget this day. And Donna told me that Bill had called and that they had taken Rhonda to the IU Medical Center in Indianapolis and that they wanted me to come and see her. I knew she wasn't doing well from what her mother had said. And so when I got back from my preaching trip, I got a commuter plane and went up to Indianapolis. And I remember as if it were yesterday, the emotions that were in my heart, because whether I look like it or not, when it comes to hurting people that, that I love, I'm kind of a wimp. I'm, I, I don't look forward to, to being with them because it just hurts. And I didn't know for sure how I was going to deal with this. I hadn't faced many situations like this as a young pastor. When I got to the hospital and I went to Rhonda's room, and I'll never forget it. She was propped up on some pillows in her bed. And when I walked in the door, her face lit up. She said, Pastor Jeremiah, I've been looking forward to you coming. I can't wait to share with you what Bill and I have been learning from the Word of God. I, I just can't wait to share with you the verses that we've learned. Here she is fighting for her life, and she's memorizing Scripture, and I was under conviction already, you know? And I went in, and they went through the Scriptures that they had been memorizing and sharing back and forth with their little cards with each other. And that whole time I was there, maybe 30 or 40 minutes, I said almost nothing. She ministered to my life. I was embarrassed. I thought, I mean, I came up here to help this girl, and... All she did was help me, and I left. About two or three weeks later, Bill called, and he told me that Rhonda had gone to be with the Lord and that he wanted me to do the service. And he said, I'll be back home in a couple of days, and I'll come in, and we'll kind of talk about what we need to do. And he said, I want to tell you how Rhonda met the Lord. So when he came, he, he told me this story. I'll never forget it. He said, I had gone down to the nurse's station to get something she needed. And when I came back, the door was closed. And the nurse that was there said, Bill, she's going to be with the Lord. And I said, I was kind of surprised because she seemed to be doing all right when I left. And he said, then the nurse said, you know, Bill, I'll never forget this. She started reciting the scriptures that she knew. And then she used this phrase. She said, Rhonda went to heaven in the middle of a verse. And I thought to myself, I never heard of that before. She went to heaven in the middle of a verse. And I had this thought. I thought to myself, what a way to die. Wouldn't it be great to meet the Lord in the middle of a verse? <laughs> then I had a better thought. Listen up. What a way to live in the middle of a verse. <laughs> You know, that's what God's called us to do. That's why he's given us this book. Not so we can be smart about the Bible, but so that we can live our lives in the middle of his word. And that's where joy is. That's where we're going to find prosperity, where we're going to find success, where we're going to find satisfaction in our lives. And my challenge to us is to take this book that we love and that we study and take it to the next level. Not just in all wisdom, but now, friends, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. May it be so. Amen. Amen. I couldn't have written a better lesson 
to share with you as we think about the new year than the one Paul wrote to the Colossian believers. Remember, he wrote this from prison, trying to help the Colossians stay out of the clutches of the false teachers who had come to undermine the work that had been done in that early church. His instruction in his prayer is vital. If you haven't already done so, get your Bible out and read Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14, and pray that prayer over yourself as you look forward to 2023. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the power of God's Word in your life from a very famous passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Once again, we're making this the mandate from God because it is the mandate from God that this year be a Word-filled year. If that's true, it will be an amazing year for all of us, and so we're preparing our hearts for that in these final days. Let me remind you again that you can get your copy of Moments with God, our brand new devotional, 392 pages, covered in beautiful soft leather, uh, beautifully designed. The colors on the, on, the, on the cover are just amazing. But inside is the most amazing thing, a devotional reading for every day of the new year to help you jumpstart your life every day and get going with God. Moments with God is our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point during the month of December. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. And there's also a way you can get a bundle of these devotionals to share with others. Go to davidjeremiah.org. There you'll find all the information. We'll see you here tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah is senior pastor. How is God blessing you through this ministry? Write and tell us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's 365-day devotional for 2023, Moments with God. It's a great tool for daily inspiration in the year ahead, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue our special messages for the new year on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. 
Stephen Neal was a 20th century British missionary to India who became a missionary scholar and world Christian leader. Here is how he defined world missions. Mission is the intentional crossing of barriers from church to non-church in word and deed for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel. Decades ago, one had to cross the oceans to cross cultural barriers, but today we might have only to cross the street. If a non-Christian from a different cultural group lives in your neighborhood, you are the missionary God has called to intentionally cross the barriers to proclaim the gospel. Today, every Christian is a cross-cultural missionary. And this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's mission mandate on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.